Welcome. I think you deserve a round of applause for the last seminar slot of the last day. Well done. Um, and it's wonderful that Putty's being recorded so you can listen to him afterwards. Um, thank you so much for coming today. Um, it's a bit of a surprise, I have to say, to find myself here. It wasn't ever planned. Um, but there's a bit of a funny story behind it, which I thought I would share with you, first of all. Um, back in the spring of last year, there was um, a launch event in London. And um, it was quite high profile, and it was around the idea of community sponsorship. And the Home Office were invited. The Immigration Minister, Caroline Noakes, was there. And um, Karis was invited to go along, which was great fun because I never um, want to give up an opportunity to go to London. And when there's free food involved, it's even better. Um, so it was a real opportunity, and professionally, obviously, to network. Um, so the morning of the event, um, I popped into the office to pick up some paperwork before I got on the train and um, had a phone call from the people that were organising it. Um, Lisa, really sorry, but our speaker's sick. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where I thought, I, can, I know what's coming, and so I was like, uh, would you mind stepping in? I was like, uh, okay, so when will I be speaking? Oh, straight after the immigration minister. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of humanly, I was going, no, no, no. And then I could hear the Lord going, yes, yes, yes. And so very quickly I had to say, yes, of course, I'd absolutely be delighted to um, before I could change my mind. Um, the Lord was amazing and um, gave me some uh, words which I'd written on the back of a scrap of paper on the train. Um, but it was an amazing, awesome opportunity to just share a tiny bit of the Karis story. But you know what, also in front of people, decision makers in our government, to be able to stand and testify as a Christian about the importance of welcoming the refugee and the asylum seeker to our country. So it was off the back of that, that at the end of the event, we were asked to pledge something, um, to pledge how we would raise awareness of community sponsorship during the com coming year. And so I found myself just having this little conversation with the Lord and saying, okay, I think it's appropriate that I tell Vineyard NLC that the seed of this was planted back in the Dangerous Dreamers Conference. Um, and just by way of encouragement, really, that's all I had in mind. <laughs> and off the back of that, I found myself being asked to do this seminar, and we had a little... Um, film crew arrive in December and some of you may have seen the little YouTube clip that's gone out as a result of that as to how God planted that seed of a dangerous dream. So um, God is full of surprises <laughs> and sometimes they can feel a little bit uncomfortable. So um, I, given what Jay said last night, I feel wholly inappropriate, uh, inappropriate? Inadequate, that's the word. <laughs> Um, but I think it's okay that I'm feeling inadequate. So um, it's good to have Dan here, who is a seasoned traveller around the refugee and asylum seeker space. And I've learned so much for him, from him. And thank you for being part of this. Um, and I know that he's going to chip in as we go along. So um, what I thought was a good way to start would be to tell you a little bit about community sponsorship. Um, and given that I speak quite a lot and I get quite passionate, I thought it'd be better to show you a film clip. So we're going to do that because um, it says so much more than I can say. 
hesitation in the capacity of the community to be able to welcome families to a place of sanctuary and safety. If anyone's in trouble, we'll, we'll do our best to pull together and help them out of it. We all saw the images of what was happening you know, in the Mediterranean. You were donating money, but you still didn't feel any better. I think I can probably remember feeling helpless, and I can't solve the whole Syrian crisis, but I can do something for a few people. We sat down together and made a commitment, so we're going to house a family, and that's it. We have a responsibility to step up and say we're going to welcome those refugees into our communities, give them a new life and a new future. And community sponsorship gives them a really practical way in. The community sponsorship scheme is important because it brings communities together and shows that we can all play a role and benefit from supporting vulnerable refugees. It's the model that's actually being used in Canada right now, where the community is very involved. It is giving grassroots ordinary people the responsibility for the entire journey that a family goes on from when they land at an airport through to them being completely resettled, integrated, happy. First point for us was to check out whether our community really did want such a scheme, how it would respond. Not everybody involved is a professional. People like me, with children and young families. Anybody can prepare a home. Anybody can take somebody to a GP's practice. Anybody can show them the surrounding area. We've discovered there are people in the community who have all sorts of skills to contribute. And you put people in touch with each other. And that's what community is all about. It was great to have lots of people doing little bits rather than a few people doing a lot, and that was quite important. We've got a family of five, and they're dealing with like 20 people helping. Every day, someone come, some teacher come. Anything I need, I can call anyone. Here, I feel I'm family. Any community group just coming together can make it happen. Just the power of people. This is for all sorts of local voluntary groups. It's as simple as having a group of people who are saying we want to make a difference and after that you get the help of experts in refugee resettlement. The process of choosing suitable families for community sponsorship could not be more rigorous. Security screening, the medical checks, the training that the family undergoes in the Middle East before they get here. The thing about the community sponsorship group is that it starts from the grassroots and grows gradually. It's not as though something is coming in and being planted on top. The experience that we've had in Canada is that community sponsored refugees tend to do really well, integrate very quickly into their host community. But the other thing is that the host communities are transformed by these refugees. This crisis would define our moment in history. At five minutes to five this evening, I had a phone call from the Home Office to say that we've done all the paperwork, that the agreement has been signed, and that a family will now be identified for us. It's... <laughs> it is personal to help people be at home here in a place that I absolutely love. So that's my absolute dream, really. It is a blessing when you get an opportunity to help someone else. We all are human and we have a duty to, to be there for them. It's always about whether or not you want to be an observer of what's happening around you or whether you want to be a participant in the world around you. And this is another part of just being part of a global community, being aware of other people and ourselves. And the reciprocal relationship is really exciting. There's a future for my children here. I do anything to help this country. 
I really, really hope it encourages people to do it and follow the same system that we have. I know people say what you're doing is a drop in the ocean, but then the ocean is made up of drops. Last um, year I was reading a book, um, some of you may have heard of it before or even read it, it's called um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by a guy called Nabil Quraish um, and um, he was an Afghan refugee, he fled um, Afghanistan with his family back in the 80s and was settled um, in the US, he had a time living in the UK and the, the book really is about his journey of truth. Um, and it's a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. Um, but he makes a statement at the beginning of this book, which really hit me between the eyes. It was a real challenge to me, and I just wanted to read it to you now. Only the exceptional blend of love, humility, hospitality, and persistence can overcome barriers, and not enough people make the effort. He was talking about how hard it was for his family to integrate into his community. How there were so many barriers to overcome and nobody was willing to go to reach past those barriers. And it was just a real kind of sadness in my heart on the one hand when I was reading that and thinking about his circumstance. And yet when I paused and reflected on it, I was overjoyed that actually today, not in the 80s, because today we're in a very different place, we're finding the UK government is providing us with a tool to actually address some of those things he's saying. And I um, have said all along, and maybe you picked it up through what you were watching on the film, that I believe this is a kingdom tool. Um, and I see so much of what's in this community sponsorship programme in the Bible, and we'll look at that in just a second. But it's very practical, and it's about people welcoming, being kind, and loving their neighbour. So what I thought I would do is share with you a little bit of the Karis story, then have a little look about, at what the Bible says, and then Dan's going to come and share some of his experience too. Is that okay with everybody? Okay. So our journey started back in 2015, and like so many others, I found myself heartbroken with the images that were on the, our TV. And you'll remember this picture of the little boy, Alan Kurdi, whose body was washed up on a Turkish beach. And um, on, I think, the first evening, Debbie was talking about when you find your, your heart broken, you've got to respond in some way. And humanly speaking, I didn't know how to respond. Spiritually, I just had to give it back to the Lord because it was too big. It was huge. And it was like this, how on earth can one person respond to this um, crisis? So I, just, I spent probably from the, the moment that crisis started hitting our screens right up through to Christmas praying and giving it back to the Lord and saying, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this looks like, but I trust that you have a plan. Um, and I'd only just started at Taunton Vineyard during that time. 
and found myself at the Dangerous Dreamers Conference in the January, and really I came just to be nosy. <laughs> Find out who the vineyards are, um, what it is that makes you tick, what are your values. Um, so I was on a journey of discovery, and I found out a lot. So the Lord was kind, he blessed me in that respect, but he also did something significant in my heart around the area of compassion. And for some reason, I've missed compassion. <laughs> I've missed social justice and social action. Um, through my churchmanship, or the Lord had said, now is the time. Now is the time for you to hear this message. And so at the end of that conference in 2016, I knew that the Lord was doing something, and I just said, okay, Lord, you have my yes. And I went forward and got prayer, and I, nothing, I knew that something had changed, but I didn't know what it was. And what I then came back to Taunton with was, Actually, I feel like the Lord's given me the confidence to take what's in my heart and in my head forward. And so I started talking to people, sharing something of where my heart was at. And other church leaders said, actually, we, we like what we're hearing and let's go on this journey together. And then the UK government said, we want to launch this community sponsorship program. Is anybody interested? And um, Dan was part of the conversation at the time, and we put our hands up and said, yeah, we, we want to get involved. What does that look like? And they basically said, you need to become a charity. So you can't do anything until you, you're a charity. So that's what 2016 looked like for us, getting ourselves in order, becoming a charity, policies, procedures, the boring, dry stuff, um, getting all of that sorted. But then starting to uh, meet with people, we had some public meetings and told them what community sponsorship looked like. We need people that own houses. We need people that have got spare furniture. We need people that can teach English. We need people that can speak Arabic. There weren't any, just saying in Taunton. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, we need people that um, will have got experience in the medical profession, people that understand education. We need people who just want to be friends, people who will offer transport. You name it, we shared it. And then all these volunteers started coming forward. It was amazing. Um, it says in that, in that film that people started coming out of the community with gifts that you never knew that they had. And that's what we found, people with specialist benefit advice that wanted to help us. So we brought together a group of volunteers, as well as setting up a charity. And Dan came down and started to share his wonderful experience of what it was to work with Middle East families what the kind of things that we needed to be aware of culturally. We looked at safeguarding. We looked at a tiny, tiny bit of Arabic. Um, we didn't do very well. Um, but we did all that we could to get ourselves ready. And then when the programme was launched by the UK government, we made an application. Um, and we were the fifth community sponsorship group in the UK to be approved at the beginning of 2017. And then in the March, we were told that a family had been found for us. So I'm going to introduce you to our first family. And I don't know if you can see it very well. This picture here is when we were at the airport. I can honestly tell you that that day when I stood in the airport and welcomed the family, it was one of the most significant days of my life. It had been 18 months of planning and dreaming and believing and trusting and having faith that God was on this journey with us. And I stood in the airport with my friends and I think the full weight of the gospel 
just sat in the most amazing way and I was constantly on the brink, brink of emotion. That this was, the Lord's heart was to welcome. The Lord's heart is to be kind and generous to those that have been rejected, to those that have had to flee. And I just, I just felt, I, I felt the pleasure of the Lord as well as the responsibility of the gospel. We were there representing Karis, we were there representing the church, but we were also representing our Father in heaven because of his heart, what he had put in my heart, I felt I needed to share. So to see our family come through the arrivals lounge was an incredible moment. And that was just the beginning of our journey. And it's been, it was a remarkable few months. And there's a few little pictures there of when we took them to our flower show, when the children started school and they first got their uniforms on. Um, we had birthday celebrations and then the snow. It was, it was packed with beautiful, beautiful moments. And I just want to share one with you, which I think is very poignant um, and has a biblical um, picture in it too. Our, the father of our family has a degree in horticulture. And very soon after he arrived, he asked if he could go and buy a grapevine because he, um, they use it for cooking. So my colleague took him to the garden centre and they got a grapevine. And he planted this grape, a grape. He planted this vine in the garden and he looked made up, <laughs> it's all I can say. This was him putting his stake in the ground, this was his mark. He had arrived, he was safe and he was creating a place for his family. And there's an Old Testament picture you'll be aware of in Micah um, and I'm just going to read that to you because a colleague of ours shared it with us when we shared this story, and it says in Micah 4, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. A picture right there of God's kingdom coming here on earth and disrupting what is a tragic situation. Yes, one family, but one family is where you start. We knew we were doing the right thing. Just that picture was enough to spur us on and to keep going. So we did. We loved the journey so much that we said we want to do this again. So in 2018, our second family arrived. Now, right at the beginning, the Lord had given me a word very clearly that it was Syria. And what I found during those months that followed was actually that was the beginning of my journey and the Lord was growing my heart for refugees. Um, he started at the point where I was at and then he enlarged my vision and my dream. And so when we, our family um, came in 2018, when we were matched with them, we knew, um, because the Home Office tell you the profile of your family, that they weren't from Syria. They were from Iraq. And originally, they were from Palestine. So they were third-generation refugees. 
I had no idea at that time what that would mean. But I found out very quickly it was very different to first generation refugees. The depth of oppression and the depth of uh, just not being able to dream and to have vision for your future and just to survive, really. So our family dynamic was very different with our second family, um, mainly adults, so that put a whole different emphasis on our volunteer network. But again, another little story. This is mum and dad up here. And um, we were sat down one day, and this is what you find happens when you sit and you drink Arabic coffee. Lots of Arabic coffee. <laughs> Lots of cake. Uh, you probably grow dress size, uh, dress size or trouser size um, in this process. But we were sat down talking, and they share so much of their past with you. And uh, the mother of the family one day, as we were talking, I, ca I can't even remember what, how we started the conversation, but she suddenly said, Jesus came to me in a dream once. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where you go, okay. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to respond now. But she, who's very shy in coming forward, her face lit up, and she started to describe him to me. What he was wearing, how he was to her, this kind man who told her that everything was gonna be okay with her daughter. Told her what to call her daughter, she did. And she just had this light in her eyes. I would say from time to time there's a darkness that comes over that family because of their background. But in that moment, I saw Jesus in her. And I went home and I said, Lord, what do I do? Where do I go from here? And I felt that he said, invite them to Charlie's wedding. Charlie's my son. <laughs> and he got married last summer. And that picture there is of them coming into the church to my son's wedding. A Jesus-centered, spirit-filled wedding. It was amazing. And they stood there, and they sang the songs, and they watched. They were amazed. I don't know how that story ends. It doesn't matter, but the Lord knows. But it was another beautiful encounter where we, as carriers of Jesus, were able to see so much more in the situation than perhaps humanly we would otherwise see. 2019 is going to be a different year again for us. Um, we are partnering with three churches in Exeter, which is about 35 miles from Taunton. And Dave Vinyl was going to be here the, um, this evening to talk about it, but he's had to go home because of the Amber Alert <laughs> in the West Country. But Dan and I are still here. <laughs> oh, of course, and Owen, sorry. Um, <laughs> So we are partner, we're doing something very different. We are uh, working with three churches in Exeter. So we will be the charity that applies for another family, but the volunteer group are going to be in Exeter. Now, the Lord is showing us that this could be a way of scaling up community sponsorship. We always thought it would be for the one, but we were always ready if the Lord said something different. And this may be a way that it will be scaled up. 
watch this space and see, but we're very excited by 2019. Um, can I just go and look in God's word at what he has to say about this? Because, you know, when the spirit calls us and it puts something on our heart, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? But to sustain something, we need to know what God's word says. And back in the summer last year in Taunton Vineyard, we had a little series called Public Faith in Action. And we were looking at the influence we had in our workplaces, in our schools, in our colleges, wherever we were, what the influence we had because of our faith and what we did about it. And I was asked if I could talk about the issue of migration. And so for that, I, I went back to God's word and said, look, Lord, what, where do I start here? And he showed me a story that we all know so well um, and gave me new eyes. I've never seen it before because of the lens of community sponsorship. So I just want to share that with you briefly and then Dan will come up and talk. Um, it's the story of Ruth. I love that story. Um, and you see, what we've got in this story is a migrant and we've got a welcomer. We've got Ruth, who migrates from Moab to Bethlehem. And we've got Boaz, who welcomes her. This issue of migration is so complex and it stirs so many different emotions and different people, so many different responses. The size of it, the scale of it can be overwhelming. And yet in this beautiful story, we see God's answer which is always to go for the one. And that we, as individuals, can make all the difference. And one person stepping out and making a difference changes the course of history. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But just a couple of verses from this beautiful book. Ruth says to Boaz, Sir, such grace, such kindness, I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart, treated me like one of your own and I don't even belong here. The, the history between the Moabites and the Israelites was very difficult. Their tensions were huge. She knew that she wouldn't be welcomed. She knew she had no rights, no standing. And not only that, she was a female, a single female, traveling with another single female. You couldn't get more vulnerable. She was open to abuse on every level. And yet, God had a plan. Boaz was a man of standing, not only in his family, but also in his community. And he had influence to change the situation. Here we find him talking to his staff. Um, and he says, let Ruth glean where there's still plenty of grain on the ground. Make it easy for her. Better yet, pull some of the good stuff out and leave it for her to glean. Give her special treatment. Community sponsorship is about generosity. It's about kindness. It's about grace. It's about mercy. It's about welcome. It's not about mistreating. It's not about harsh words. It's the complete opposite to a hostile environment. Everything you can do to welcome, you do. And this is what Boaz is doing. He practically provided food and water. But he went further than that. 
I love this story and I just keep coming back to it time and time again because I believe that God's got so much in there. However many years ago that was, and we can learn from it today. I'm going to leave it there and come back to that in a second because I want to look at what the difference that story made to, to Ruth, but also what the echoes of that in community sponsorship. Dan's going to come and share. Is that okay? Thank you so much, Lisa, and uh, huge respect to you guys. Uh, final shift of the of the conference uh, to be here, and huge respect because I know you're here because you care about people. Um, and uh, it's so good to hear about how things have grown and what God's done. Uh, just an example of someone uh, responding to God and doing what they can where they can. Uh, and I think that is uh, you know, just a tremendous example to all of us. So I just wanted to quickly uh, just take a step back to the bigger picture. Um, and maybe some of you are wondering, you know, how long will this opportunity last? You know, we're talking about now is the time. How long is this time uh, going to be open to us? And um, I, th I think uh, th there's three main reasons why I think now is the time for us to respond to uh, people seeking refuge. Uh, the first one is that the, the movement of people across the globe uh, is not going to go away. It's one of the biggest issues of our time. Uh, it's something that, you know, because of pressure on the world's resources, because of the rise of populism, because of our inability to solve conflicts around the world, uh, is just going to be something that continues. So we're going to have to wrestle with and decide how to respond to this issue of people on the move and people seeking refuge. We have a refugee system globally that is totally broken and dysfunctional. Uh, I, it's, it's a relic from the Second World War. Uh, it's hugely ineffective. Uh, it's hugely unjust. Um, and uh, I won't go into the details on that, but if you're interested in getting that kind of bigger picture overview, there's a fantastic book called Refuge by Paul Collier. Uh, and another academic who've written it. Uh, great for kind of big picture understanding of migration and refuge issues. So now is the time because uh, this issue is not gonna go away. Now is the time also because we have a, a moral duty of asylum. Uh, this is something that we share with uh, people of other faiths and with, human, with humanity. You know, in that little video there that we saw of community sponsorship, you saw people coming forward, didn't you, from different backgrounds and saying, we share this sense of moral duty, that where, wherever people are in danger and we have the ability to help, we have the ability to do something, we should. And uh, just recently I was in a training session with a family from the Middle East, I won't specify which country, but uh, in the course of that, it was a kind of a cultural orientation session they shared with me how, uh, in order to get out of the country that they were in, two of the members of the family had actually uh, had to sell uh, one of their organs. And they still had the scars from this that they were dealing with uh, as they were trying to get to schools and things here in the UK. And I, it, I, it, it just broke my heart and it made me think, you know, we have the ability, we have the opportunity to respond to those who are in danger, and it's our moral duty to do so. So just on a, on, on a humane level, uh, now is the time because of that duty. Now is the time also because God's love compels us. 
you know, and, and that's what we hear through Lisa and her example. Um, followers of Jesus should be on the front line of compassion and of peacemaking and of justice. Um, and when we feel him stirring our hearts, as he stirred Lisa's in 2015, and maybe some of you are sensing him stirring your heart at this conference, it, it's, it's our job just to respond and say yes to the Lord. Um, one other thought I had as she shared that quote there from Nabil Quresh uh, was about the barriers and how actually there are barriers to people experiencing the love of God. Uh, and uh, from time spent working with uh, the Muslim community, I know that many of the barriers are actually not theological, but they're more historical and political. So as we sought to share openly our faith with Muslim friends, uh, about God's love for them, actually the barriers that came up were more around the legacy of the Crusades, the legacy of Israel and Palestine, uh, perceptions of the war in Iraq. The, these were the immediate uh, barriers that were associated with what people thought uh, Christian faith meant. So to counter that, actually action, compassion, has absolutely tremendous power. So now is the time, but what should our response look like? And I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all response, and I think we should be asking uh, the Holy Spirit for his inspiration on what our response as the vineyard should look like. What is our unique response? What is our unique place uh, in responding to uh, refugees and those seeking asylum? And I think what we do will depend on our specific circumstances. So this example of community sponsorship in Taunton and as it's happening around the country uh, is absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I just thought I'd quickly mention what it looks like for us here in Bristol. So I'm part of Seven Vineyard Church. I'm an associate pastor there. I do that two days a week. But three days a week I work with a charity that we started called Bridges for Communities. And Bridges for Communities is about creating spaces and ways for people to connect from different backgrounds, different cultures, and different faiths. Uh, this includes refugees and asylum seekers, but it's also a broader vision uh, that we hope will contribute towards, towards social cohesion and peacemaking. Um, and it came about partly through time that my wife and I spent in the Middle East and experience of uh, the Muslim world, the Arab-speaking world, and refugees. My first experience of the circumstances that refugees find themselves in was in Beirut. And I still remember it as the most hopeless place that I've, I've ever been. Palestinian refugee camps in Beirut that had been there for 60 years, houses built on top of each other, next to each other, and maybe a little bit of what Lisa's communicating about, when this is a long-term situation for people, uh, it massively, massively impacts their worldview, uh, their perception of us, and uh, their ability to move forward with life. Uh, in 2011, I was in Jordan, Arab Spring happened. Uh, initially, this wave of optimism across the region that things were finally gonna change, uh, oppressive regimes were gonna be gone, uh, of course, we know something of how it's kind of panned out. Um, but that was my first uh, recent example of what it meant for people fleeing in that moment. 
And uh, for me, that's a huge motivator. And I'm sure you've all got motivators of why you're here at this seminar today. I wish we had time to hear each one of them. But I just encourage you to hold on to those. Because as you go through this process of listening to God and exploring and pushing on doors and wondering what the, you know, what is, what's the right fit for you, I think holding on to those moments where God has spoken or you've had an experience that you don't want to forget. For me, there's a journey back from a city in the north of Jordan where we had visited Syrian families. Uh, we'd gone into their homes. They were urban refugees, so this was not in camps. Uh, they were in rented garages or shacks or sheds, whatever they could find. And we went in, we talked with them, and we drank coffee with them, and we sat on their bare floors, and we heard the pain of what had happened to their villages and towns and countries. We met men who showed us their bullet wounds. We saw uh, women who had uh, been abused. And as we drove back uh, down the highway to the capital, for me, that was one of those moments that I hold on to of vowing that I would do what I could to respond, however small. So whatever it is for you, hold on to those motivators. Uh, remind yourself of them and keep saying yes to God as you explore it. Um, in Bristol, as Owen mentioned at the beginning, the city council has really got behind the resettlement of refugees. Initially, it was only Syrian families, so it was the Syrian Vulnerable, vulnerable Persons Resettlement Scheme. Uh, that has been opened up to others from the region, which I'm really pleased about. Community sponsorship is kind of happening as part of that same scheme, but in different places it looks really different. So uh, in some places, it's only community sponsorship groups that have made this happen. In others, you've got both uh, community sponsorship and city council, and in some, it's just the local authority. In Bristol now, we have both, but the majority, so 49 families have been resettled by the council. I think the question that we had to ask was, again, what's our place? What's our role? We, we feel that we should respond, uh, but we don't need to do everything. The council are saying they'll do this. They've committed to 100 families over five years, which we felt was a great response. But actually, we have a role to fill gaps that they're not able to. So the, the city council is not able to provide neighbors that are welcoming, uh, smiling faces that let people know that they are uh, accepted, which is a huge question that people have as they arrive. Uh, they may have heard stories, they may have seen incidents uh, on the news, and it only takes one incident, you know, a story of racism, a story of social services taking their children away, and they arrive with fear over how they will be perceived and received. So to have you show up and smile and offer them help uh, or a cup of tea or whatever is, is absolutely huge. And a big part of what we do is simply that. We've got volunteers, uh, 90 volunteers now, uh, who are befrienders. They simply go and visit families, uh, take them out for a cup of coffee, uh, help them learn to use the public transport system, etc. So it's quite a low level uh, of support that they offer, but it's a really important one. Uh, we also find ourselves uh, running events, gatherings, places for people to connect, because uh, in a big city where there are people from refugee backgrounds, it's important for them to meet each other and to meet with local people again uh, who, who are welcoming. So we've done day trips to the beach and uh, Arabic meals, and at Christmas time, we, uh, as, as a church at seven, we helped to organize an event, uh, which was a trip to a zoo farm to see the big animals and to put on a nativity play, and mostly create that space where people can be interacting, getting out of the house, 
meeting people, uh, which is so important. So, uh, you know, there's so many things that you could consider in terms of your response uh, to this. Uh, community sponsorship is a wonderful model. Uh, I think it's a better model than uh, local authority resettlement because it means that local community gets involved and owns it. But it may be that you're in a place or circumstance where you can't consider this. Find what you can do. It may be writing to your MP. It may be lobbying for uh, your area to do something. It may be providing welcome packs. That's another thing that Seven has been able to do, is a little pack of food in the house when people arrive. So instead of a kind of cold, bare house, they've got something in the cupboards, they've got this message that local people have provided. This is not the government. This is local people who want to say welcome. Um, cultural orientation sessions, conversation clubs. I know people are providing ESOL, uh, which is hugely important towards kind of integration and settling in. Uh, the list is pretty much endless it's as long as you are creative. So um, I think that's probably all I've got time for. Thank you, Lisa, and I'll hand back to you. I'm around for any questions or conversations. We are going to have a little time for questions in a moment because we are barely scratching the surface, really, and appreciate you might want to ask some very practical questions. When um, Dave contacted me and said, I've got to go, and started flying out of the room, he said, um, I said, what would you say? And he said, just tell them it's a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's his advice to you. It's a no-brainer, get involved. But he also said, him and his wife, uh, foster an unaccompanied minor and that's part of their response individually as a married couple but as a church they are getting involved in community sponsorship and one of the joys of that experience he said is the working with other churches and delivering something together so that's another facet of community sponsorship, that not only do you get involved with your community, but you get involved with other churches. And I would like to just now look at what that kind of transformation looks like, not only for the family, but for you and your churches, because there is a lot of evidence to suggest that transformation is significant. I was just saying to Owen before we started, um, there's a statistic that's come out of Canada who have been running community sponsorship now for 45 years that one in three people either know a refugee or know somebody who looks after a refugee. Can you imagine the difference that that makes to the worldview of a country? We were talking about um, dreaming the impossible and changing the narrative, changing the culture. I feel like our country needs to change its narrative. I see so much hostility rising up, so much, um, so much of our past that maybe we thought had gone coming back again. So much happening in Europe that concerns me about how people are responding to people who are in need and who are vulnerable. And just because they live in another country, because of that physical country barrier, they are different and can be treated differently. That's not right. That's not God. That's not his kingdom. So when I look at what's happening in Canada, I'm encouraged that actually we have got the potential to change 
the environment in our country. And that's why I feel passionate too about churches getting involved in community sponsorship. So we look at the opportunities of transformation. We, I say unashamedly, we went into this thinking we want to bring hope to refugees. That was our desire. And even if it was one person, that was enough. We would have raised all the money and done everything we did for one person. That was as far as our vision took us at that moment in time. And we have seen change. We have, I mean, it's so, I can tell you so many stories. But when you are sent a video from the father of the fa our first family on his daughter's prize giving day because she'd received an award after her first year in this country of receiving, of getting over 75% in five of her exams in English as her second language, including maths and chemistry, <laughs> you think, wow, change, it definitely you see change. And this is echoed when we look at the story of Boaz and Ruth. You'll remember that when Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, left Moab, she was bitter, she was downcast. Her eyes couldn't see a future. Because of Boaz's response, she had a future. She could see God again. She could see plans and purposes for her family. This is what God does. He's in the business, isn't he, of transformation. We, as a community sponsorship group, somewhat stupid really, but we, we, we were surprised at how transformed we became as individuals. Our worldview changed. We had a celebration after year one um, and invited lots of people along to come and party with us after our family had been here for a year. And um, I just said to our volunteers, would anybody like to stand up and say how this has changed them? Everyone wanted to say their bits. It was an absolute delight to hear how this had changed them individually and how God had enlarged something in their heart. Again, you see this echoed in the story of Ruth and Boaz changes his workplace. He changes his, the environment for his employees. That would have had a lasting change. Transformation in your community. The, where our families live, we introduce them to their neighbours so that no, nothing's hidden, everything's out in the open. It's part of preparing people. Um, and we've had so many wonderful stories of what goes on in those little neighbourhoods. Snow fights with the boys, um, taking uh, food around, sharing breakfast, having coffee together, Christmas cards being exchanged. One of the families, um, their neighbour had a very big garden. They had a very small garden. They were invited to come and plant vegetables in their garden so that they, he could provide for the family. Amazing kindness and generosity because it's contagious. And they saw us going in and out, in and out every day. What's going on? What's going on? Tell us more. You tell people, that's amazing. How can we be involved? You change communities. And that's what we're wanting, isn't it? And transformation of our church. I would say, um, maybe I should ask other people who are here from Taunton Vineyard. But I believe that we as a church have been changed as a result of being involved. Again, our worldview, understanding how we can make a difference in a very different way. And I'm sure Dan's got amazing stories that he can, can share. But that's what Dave said about Exeter, you know, it's a no-brainer. 
We know that what happened with Boaz and Ruth changed history. And there's Jesus is all over it, which is just beautiful. So, as we come into land, I'm conscious that there may be some questions that you might have, either about practically what community sponsorship looks like, how you as an individual can be involved, how your church can be involved. Um, before we, I think, let me just, yeah, I just wanted to share this with you. Um, going back to the book that I read of uh, Nabil Koresh, the book tracks his journey of truth. And then right at the end, when you know that he's found Jesus, he talks about his response and where he goes from here. And I guess in a way, this is kind of where my heart is. This is what propels me forward when I read this. After loving us with the most humble life and the most horrific death, Jesus told us, as I have loved you, go and love one another. He says, how could I consider myself a follower of Jesus if I was not willing to live as he lived, to die as he died? To love the unloved and to give hope to the hopeless. Dan said about finding what it is that motivates you. Um, and giving hope. To live without hope, I think, is one of the hardest things. And for me, that's one of the, the things that propels me forward. So, now is the time. <laughs> and I have been so moved at this conference. This is my fourth conference. And I'm not sure if I should say it, but it's been my favorite one so far. <laughs> I just, I, the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit in such a quiet and intimate way for me personally has been amazing. Um, and I really feel more passionately than I did before I came that now is the time. And God's favour is upon us. It's upon us as individuals, but it's upon us as a church. It's upon the vineyard movement. We have a place and we have an opportunity to respond to the crisis in our generation, whether that be with the young people, whether that be with refugees, whether it be whatever crisis there is in your community, that now is the time to respond. So I'd love to encourage you maybe to respond by asking a few questions. If you don't have any, that's amazing. You can, <laughs> you may all want to go, but Dan and I wanted to make ourselves available if you do have any questions. If you don't want to ask them publicly, then please feel free to come and get us afterwards. Can you start this process uh, uh, without, you know, you, you said you had to register as a charity. Mm -hmm. um, if, if, if you had to do it somewhere where Karis wasn't working, would you have to form a charity to be able to start forming, getting those volunteers together and starting the process? Um, the answer is that that uh, backdrop is changing as okay. we speak. So the Home Office are thinking creatively about ways for groups to respond without becoming a charity. And there are multiple options, and those options are increasing as we speak. So I would say don't allow that, don't let that be an obstacle, don't allow that to be a barrier. If you've got a heart to do something, then I think you can become a community sponsor. And we could talk about where you live, what's on offer, and what might be available. Caroline Noakes is our 
local MPs. Is she? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. So one of the things that's happened for Karis is that on this journey, we've been asked to be an ambassador for community sponsorship. So we are an ambassador in the Southwest region, and we're working with 17 groups now who are on this journey right from the embryonic stage to a group last week that had just been approved and have been matched to a family. Um, and so we're on that journey of looking at creative ways for other groups to explore that. And I know that's happening right around the country and I'm connected in with the other coordinators, if you like, so we can look at that. There's a slightly double-barrel question. Uh, do you have experience of working with non-Christian groups? Uh, specifically because there is one in my local town which are quite anti-Christian and we have offered help, and the response has been, oh, you just want to preach. Right. Can I ask where your town is? Epsom. Epsom, okay. And is that a community sponsorship group, or is it the local authority? I don't know. It sounds like a community group. It meets in a local cafe. Right, okay. Um, Well, yes, we do, and a number of the groups that we're supporting to become community sponsors are secular. So they are, um, some people in that group are from the church, and some are outside of the church. And actually what they found is that they have found a common vision together, and they've grown as a group. It's It's become quite organic, so they've grown together. They've learned to work with one another, and actually that's been an empowering part of that process for the group. So um, this is not about converting people. It's always been about a presence ministry, and I think Dan might be able to contribute a bit more here because he's probably got more experience. But I would say that, um, yes, we have, and it's worked very well. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll just um, echo what Lisa said and say that a number of community sponsorship groups that I've been in contact with have commented on how this has facilitated dialogue, relationship, partnership with groups that never came together. Right. So it may be that the initial response is resistance mm-hmm. or wariness, yeah. and you may need to do a little bit of work of trust building, essentially to kind of reassure and say what it is about for you, not to deny uh, anything about uh, how your faith may be motivating you to do this, Mm -hmm. to be open about that, Mm -hmm. but to say that that is not what you kind of bring in to hijack the process or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's worth pushing through that. Just to add to that, one of the things that's happened for us locally in Taunton, which again has been a real surprise, so much of this has been a surprise, but our partnership with the statutory organisations has just grown and grown and grown. And we are now, because like like with Dan, our local authority is very active and we have about 26 Syrian families across Somerset. And the town in which we live, Taunton, um, we are now delivering for the council and for our own families English classes every day of the week because our local college decided not to continue. So we put our hands up and say we've got volunteers who actually are happy to carry on as volunteers but some are qualified and we'd like to pay them would you like to get involved? And they said, yes, we would. So we now have five bespoke classes running every day to provide English at different levels. So that was another um, wonderful um, 
kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, attribute of this really, that we've been able to improve our relationships with those statutory organisations and work together for the benefit of the people <coughs> in the community. So, yeah. And can I just add yeah. to that as well? <laughs> so, yeah, um, in Bristol we, uh, our, our charity Bridges for Communities is contracted by the City Council to provide befrienders, mm. to provide local people who welcome. And uh, it's just amazing to see that kind of synergy and yeah. partnership coming out of yeah. this. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah, I'm, I'm brand new to thinking about this. Um, I'm from Reading and housing is frighteningly expensive where we are. What are the approaches that you even, <coughs> where do you even start to try and kind of do the housing part? Uh, so, if your local authority is open to resettlement, which by the way, the resettlement scheme uh, was kind of a five-year commitment uh, by the government. It came about in response to people speaking up and saying, again, we feel that, that we have a duty to respond to this. Uh, so they committed to 20,000 over a period of five years. Uh, that's now coming towards an end uh, at the end of this year, but I don't know if you have any updates from the Home Office. Uh, it's still in process, whether they'll continue. Uh, things like Brexit may have an impact, perhaps. Just a degree of uncertainty in making that decision. Um, but um, in Bristol, housing is also a huge issue. There's not enough housing for the present population. So the council had to make a very clear decision that they would not touch uh, social housing. They would not resettle families into council houses because we got a waiting list of about 20,000 families uh, that to then have people jumping the queue would, would cause controversy. So it's all private houses, it's through landlords. Uh, there is money through the Home Office to the local authority um, to, to enable that to happen. So local authority scheme, that's how it can still happen even when housing is an issue. Most of the experience we've had through community sponsorship nationwide is that you have amazing philanthropic landlords who catch this and say, you know what, this is important, I want to invest. Um, we've had amazing schemes where communities have come together and bought houses. We've had people that have offered houses well below the market rent. But it is the biggest, the single most challenging issue in the whole of the scheme. Um, and Karis is looking at working with some housing groups Christian housing groups to see if we can partner together to see if there's a way again that we can scale this issue because for every group to look at this individually is quite a lot of work and it can be discouraging we don't want to discourage people we want to improve this situation so we're kind of on it but haven't got anything to report right now but watch this space conscious of the time <laughs> you've all been amazing do you want to finish up? I just want to say thank you very much. Thank you very much. Why don't we show up?